Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. It's not just superheroes and first responders that risk their lives to save others. Climatologists do it too. Would you believe that our guest today climbed the summit of multiple mountains for climate research so that we all could better understand how our climate has changed over the years? Well, it's true, and it's really an honor to have him on the podcast today. He's the subject of the upcoming documentary, Canary. Dr. Lonnie Thompson went where no other climate scientist would dare go in order to find information and observations that changed how we can see centuries in the past. Dr. Thompson, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you, Marshall. It's my honor to be here. Well, certainly my honor to have you on the podcast. You're truly one of the legends of the field of climatology, someone that uh, it's been my honor over the years to interact with and at least be aware of your work. So, even as a legend in our field, I've got to start off with a question that I ask every guest on the podcast. How did you become a climate geek? Well, I, I give full credit to my sixth grade science teacher, Mr. Underwood, in Gasway, West Virginia, where I grew up. And he got me interested in uh, measuring temperature and dew points. And, and eventually, I put a weather station in my barn, and I did observations every day made weather forecasts. Um, I was able to get some lunch money by telling people it was going to rain the next day. And sure enough, it would. And back then you could get from NOAA, you could get these weather maps for the U.S. And uh, so you could see what was coming. And probably if I lived in a different state uh, instead of West Virginia or here in Ohio, I would have become a meteorologist rather than a glaciologist. But uh, but I, yeah, the, the beginning goes all the way back to our science teachers and the people who inspire us when we're young. You know, I have a very similar story. My sixth grade science uh, project was can a sixth grader predict the weather? And I made weather instruments from things around the house and won the science fair and went on to be a meteorologist, studied at Florida State. Now, you, you mentioned the term glaciologist, and we've been sort of generically referring to you as a climatologist, but tell our listeners... Dr. Thompson, what a glaciologist is and what you study and how it fits into the realm of climatology or climate science. Yeah, uh, uh, for sure. I, I Let me start for young people. I, I'd like you to know that when I came to Ohio State, I actually came here to study cold geology because I grew up in West Virginia and I was looking to get a job when I get out. But in my first quarter, I was offered a research position in what was then Institute of Polar Studies to study ice. And at the time, I thought, you know, how could you possibly make a living looking at ice? It covers 10% of the surface of the planet. It's in places where people don't live. So, you know, you think about it and you say, well, but the beauty was it was a research position which allowed me to get my degree faster so I could get out and get my job. So it, it was... Uh, there's a lot of serendipity in life, and and when I made my first first trip to Antarctica in 73, 74, 
I realized just how much ice there is on this planet. And, and that changed my whole trajectory. So I, I think it's very important for young people to stay flexible, get exposure to as many things as possible. And so glaciology is a study of ice in all of its forms. And uh, we are particularly interested in the history that's archived in the ice itself so that we can go back and reconstruct year by year how climate has varied and what are the drivers. The, be the beauty of ice is it's just amazing because it records not only climate, things like temperature through the isotopes or precipitation through the annual layer thicknesses. It also records the forcings of climate, things like volcanic eruptions, which could cause a cooling of the earth. Uh, the tephra and the sulfates are preserved. We can look at how the sun has varied through time, through cosmogenic nuclides, chlorine 36, beryllium 10. Uh, and of course, it records, it's our only real recorder of the composition of our atmosphere, things like carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, all the things we're concerned about. But in the ice, we have records that go back 800,000 years. They give us a real perspective of where we are uh, in, in, in time. And so, so that they're, they're a marvelous recorder of uh, so many things. And, and glaciers themselves, they are, yeah, they're recorders, but they're also indicators of climate change because they respond. As the world gets warmer, they sum up all the variables, the radiation, the the cloudiness, uh, the temperature, the precipitation, and they respond. And unfortunately today, they're all retreating. And it doesn't matter whether you're working in the Andes of South America or Kilimanjaro of Africa or over in the Himalayas. We are seeing the same story play out. So they're wonderful recorders, and certainly glaciology is a, a fantastic area, except for the fact that we're going to lose the ice here on Earth. And so uh, in the future, we're going to have to look at Mars other icy planets uh, if you want to study glaciology. Talking with Dr. Lonnie Thompson, let me give you a little bit of his background. He's a distinguished university professor at the School of Earth Sciences at the Ohio State University, senior research scientist and director of the Bird Polar and Climate Research Center, received his PhD from Ohio State University in the 70s, mid-70s and is the subject of a documentary called Tenere, which we're going to dig deeply into that coal mine, so to speak. But I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about paleoclimatology and ice cores, because I know that's been central to what you have done in your career. I mean, many of our listeners and viewers may be familiar with some aspects of ice coring and paleoclimatology from Movies like The Day After Tomorrow, for example, and certain uh, things that they've seen on television. But you're the, the real deal. So talk to our listeners about <laughs> how you can use ice cores to understand past climates. Well, the, 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 the beauty of ice uh, is if it's cold enough, and which is in the polar regions uh, and also in very high elevations and mountain ranges around the world, every year the snow falls. Uh, often there's a wet season and a dry season, and particularly if you're working in the tropics. And so you have these beautiful annual layers. You can actually see the dust from the dry season in the ice cores. So you can count back in time just like you would a tree. And you can get a very uh, 
precise history of how climate has varied. And of course, if you're working in the low latitudes in the tropics, we can look at things like El Nino, which are tropical phenomena. We can look at how the monsoons has varied through time and how those impacted human beings. So, so they're a marvelous recorder, but you have to stay high enough and cold enough so you don't get melting, so you don't you get a, a, a an unaltered history of our of our past. So so they're uh, they're phenomenal, and uh, I've been studying these. Uh, uh, I just came back from Peru yesterday, uh, studying the Kokaya ice cap. I've been studying. Next year, I have studied it for fifty years. And you know, when we talk about climate, we're talking about thirty to forty year history. I've been very fortunate to have lived it and to actually observed it and how it's changed uh, uh, around the world over this period of time. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. I'm speaking with very significant climatologists within the field of science in general, what, what much of what we know about ice and glaciology and climate connections comes from our current guest, Dr. Lonnie Thompson. So it's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about canary. I think I know the term and why it's called that, but for our listeners and viewers, why is the term canary used to describe this documentary? Well, uh, having grown up in West Virginia, uh, and I heard the stories when I was a boy about the miners taking canary into the mine 
And, you know, back then they had to actually buy that canary from the company store. They were paid with company money that could only be spent at that company store. But that canary was so important for their survival. And they would take the canary in a little cage and put it beside the the area they were working. And if the canary died, then they knew they had to get out of the mine. And so uh, it's a symbol. And to me, our glaciers are our canaries. They're canaries. Uh, they are early warning system for the planet. And they're all screaming, you know, we have a real significant issue here with climate. And uh, I uh, I think they, uh, and they are disappearing. And I, unfortunately, the areas that I've studied, you know, we have at least four of the glaciers that we have ice cores in our freezer here from that no longer exist in the natural world. So we're losing this very valuable archive of our past. And um, so I think it sends a very clear message. The beauty of ice is it has no political agenda. It cannot be lobbied. It cannot be bought out. It is just, in, in some ways, to me, it's our, our, our picture of truth. And truth protects us. It avoids costly errors. It makes us, uh, keeps us from deadly mistakes. And I think the, the fact that it doesn't matter now whether you're in Greenland or Antarctica or in these high mountains. They're all speaking in one voice, uh, and we all should be very concerned about that. I, I concur. I mean, I took my family on a trip to Glacier National Park a several summers ago, and part of my motivation is, well, I wanted to go to the beautiful park, but I also know those glaciers, are they're, they're fading fast there in that park, I and mean, you just do the research on the number of glaciers that used to be in Glacier National Park, even here in the U.S. versus now, it, it, it's dismal. So, and speaking of these mountainous elevated terrains, you've been to some pretty interesting places, and you just talked about coming back from one. Do you have any particularly harrowing or, or memorable experiences on any of your expeditions or scientific studies that care to share with our listeners and viewers? Any Anything that just comes to mind or that maybe we'll see in Canary uh, about um, your research and the danger that is involved. Well, you know, these in the high mountains, they're, they're all kind of issues that we deal with. Uh, we are working at very high elevations. Uh, we have drilled the highest ice cores ever recovered, 23,500 feet from the top of the Himalayas. Uh, to take a field team, I mean, you have to have a really good field team. And, but you're totally isolated. So we have uh, medical kits that we have designed for high elevation work. Uh, we have uh, hyperbaric chambers where we can pressurize people, actually bring them down 10,000 feet without moving them. Uh, there's uh, getting up there. We have to move six tons of equipment up through these often crevasse fields. So you have to have mountaineers to yeah, you know, lay a path uh, for our team. And uh, then there's always avalanches and the things that come with mountains working in the mountains. And we try to reduce those risks, but you can never eliminate them. Uh, you reduce them, but uh, if you go on one of these projects, you're, you're going to take on some of those, some of those risks. The, uh, I think that, uh, you know, we, 
had to design special drills. You can't use the drills that were designed for Antarctica. They have to be lightweight, portable systems. And we built the very first solar-powered ice core drill in 1983, when even the National Science Foundation didn't believe we were going to be able to drill using solar power. But if you get up to 20,000 feet, you have over half the Earth's atmosphere below you, so you have a tremendous amount of radiation, and it's a beautiful power supply for, 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 these, for these drills. And then the, our other big challenge was, okay, you drill these ice cores, and you're up in this very cold environment, but when you come down, if you're in the tropics, you've got to go through palm trees and, 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 and the tropical climate, so how do you keep them frozen? Right. And so we, we came up with a, a technique of special insulated boxes. Uh, we have a cryopack material, something like a blue ice that you use in a picnic. But the company makes them to freeze at the nighttime temperature where we're drilling. And then we can pack our boxes. And then we know we have five days to find a freezer and to get the, uh, get the ice uh, to that freezer. So it kind of gives us our, our timeline for operating. But if you're drilling in the Himalayas, for example, you start above 20,000 feet and you can use porters and Sherpas to transport. But when you get to the edge of the glacier, you're still 4,000 feet from the plateau where you can bring in a freezer truck. So you have to use local transportation. And if you're in the Himalayas, that happens to be yaks. Yes, and the yaks are—you—you uh, you can get two of these insulated containers on a yak, and uh, so that's a uh, twelve uh, twelve meters of ice. But we drill five to six hundred meters, so you have to have a whole herd of yaks. And if anyone has a cat, a yak's temperament is kind of like a cat, and it's kind of hard to get them all going in one direction. Right, and so we have a special Tibetan whistler that. Uh, sends them in the right direction. So so there's a lot of challenges in every country where we've been very fortunate to drill in 16 countries and every country is different about the logistics that you would set up for for these projects. But um, I've always been amazed at how much support we get from local people. Uh, I mean, we work in, with a lot of indigenous people in the areas, these remote parts of the world. And they're just, the world is full of fabulous people. Uh, and so, um, yeah, and what we do is very international. Uh, I mean, you can't do it if you don't have colleagues in these different countries uh, to work with. I mean, and, and to me, this is the future. If, if, if we're going to deal with issues like climate change, we have to work together uh, and we have to be able to focus on, on the objectives rather than our differences. And so that's one of the beauties of um, our program. Well, speaking of coming together and working through differences, you've done a lot of this work with your lifelong partner, Dr. Ellen Mosley Thompson, who is a colleague that I know well, and in fact, you know, was the source of my recent invitation to speak to your university recently. Tell us how it is working with your wife. Uh, especially in high altitude environments, difficult environments. Look, I'm, I'm married as well. <laughs> it's not always peaches and cream, but how, how does that? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, Ellen and I 
uh, you know, we, we raised a daughter and it was clear early on uh, that uh, Ellen's interests lie in Antarctica and Greenland and my interests in the high mountains. So we kind of divided up the world so that uh, she could, uh, her programs in Antarctica are, are generally in January, February, March, and mine in the high mountains are usually June, July, and August. And this turned out to be a good way because, yeah, as you say, we, uh, Ellen's office is right next to mine here. And, but when we do field operations, we have different ways of doing them. And uh, so uh, this worked out well. And I think that for raising our daughter, it was, it worked out very well because when Ellen is in the field, I would do the PTA and all the activities with, with my daughter and vice versa. So that, uh, we're, we're very pleased with, you know, when you're, when you're raising a child, it's like a 20 year experiment and you're not quite sure how your lifestyle is going to impact that child, but we're very pleased with the product. So, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, we, I think the, the, the solution is to compromise, find ways that, uh, you can allow both individuals to have their careers and, uh, and develop their, uh, uh, their, their, their careers to the fullest extent possible. And yeah, raising a family, as you know, is compromise. Oh, sure. It's all about compromise and also working and collaborating and especially having your office right next to each other as well. You know, you're, you're, but it's a, Oh, oh, oh yes. Yeah. 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 No, that's really great. No, we, and we like to explore the human and personal sides here on weather geek as well as the scientific stories. And I know the documentary itself, uh, explores the human side of your career and interactions as well. And so I really wanted to dig into that. I want to ask you two questions, and they're very different questions, but they're related in some ways. Tipping points. You hear that discussion quite a bit in the world of climate science, and it's also leaking into more public discourse as well. Tell our listeners about tipping points and why tipping points are important, whether you believe we've reached any and so forth. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, there is... there. Ice has tipping points. I, I mean, you think about ice. I, I mean, we're, we're, it's fascinating. We live on a planet where we have all the forms of water uh, on, the, on the planet itself. And when you go from ice at 32 degrees Fahrenheit to water, it changes. Everything changes. Uh, it's, a, it's a threshold. And this is my greatest concern with these mountain glaciers is that we now have on like on Kalkaya, where I just came from, there are lakes forming on the ice cap and the water is absorbing the radiation at these high elevations much faster than the ice, which is reflects that energy. And you get these positive feedbacks. And I believe that uh, within... I, th I shouldn't say I believe, but I think the science shows that within uh, 40 to 50 years, we're going to lose maybe 70% of our mountain glaciers. 
Um, I, I mean, in in some ways, our uh, we we have a we have a freezer here where we have over uh, eight thousand meters of ice, and we keep an archive because those glaciers are going to disappear. And I I would like to say that yeah we'll you know tomorrow we'll find a new energy source and we will be able to turn this corner, but it's we already have these feedbacks in the system that are built in, which, uh, you know, just means that we're going to lose these glaciers. And yeah, I, I just came back from the Kelkaya ice cap, which is the largest tropical ice cap on earth. Last time I was there was in 2018. And I could not believe how much melting, how much water, how, how much it had retreated. And, and to me, sometimes I, I see it as like a medical doctor who has a patient has terminal cancer. I know what's driving it. I know what's going to happen to it. But all I can do is document those changes as they play out. And, you know, I'm hoping that Canary, the documentary, might help us be able to uh, actually do something. I, what, what I'm really concerned about is that I mean, you look at the CO2 rise last year in our atmosphere, I mean, uh, 2.44 parts per mil by volume. And you look at the history since Charles Keeling started measuring it in 1958. It's not just rising, it's accelerating. Oh, yes. Right. And despite all of our our intergovernmental panels on climate change, our, our, our COPE meetings, we have not turned the corner on this issue. Right. And consequently, the glaciers are going to be lost. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so there are tipping points. Yeah, I really appreciate your emphasis on acceleration, because that's one of the things that I talk about all of the time. When you hear people sort of hemming and hawing, debating one degree, two degree, three degrees, like, look, go back to calculus class and remember derivatives. It's the rate of change that we are concerned about, because we're seeing changes happening on and the scale of decades that used to take hundreds to thousands of years. And so that's really a problem. Now, when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Thompson the big questions. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with my colleague, Dr. Lonnie Thompson. And he's the subject of a new documentary canary dr thompson do you know that, that is the the, the the when is the canary documentary come i believe it's coming out we're, we're recording this at the second week of september so you, when when can people take a look at this well the it'll be showing in la here in columbus and new york starting on september 15th the official nationwide release is on september 20th and uh, so Ellen and I are going up to New York uh, for the, the, the release of the film uh, and to be there for the question and answers uh, from the audience uh, about the film itself. I really appreciate also uh, as a scholar who also tries to get outside of the ivory tower because the science that we're dealing with impacts our society and our lives. And so it's important that we engage. And so I really salute you for uh, being willing to be a part of this effort. I, I do these types of things as well, and it's so important. Uh, the big question that I wanted to ask you, and this is something that uh, one of our producers uh, put forth, as a leading figure in climate science, what message or advice do you have for policymakers, one, and then the younger generation of scientists and, and scholars coming forward? So we'll start with policymakers and then sort of brought more broadly the younger generation. Well, I, I was, um, I mean, I look at my history and my interactions and, you know, I, I first testified before the U.S. Senate on climate change in 1992. And I was very optimistic. I was young and I thought that if we had the data, we could show the data that the policymakers would make the right decisions that are in the best interest for the public and for the world. And uh, and through the 90s, I was optimistic. And then as we went on, I, I noticed the, the whole tone was changing, that uh, there were more and more of the uh, uh, fossil fuel industry coming out uh, with, you know, fake, I mean, fake news, things that are just not true in science, and we know they're not true. Uh, and yet uh, they were able to sell this at a large scale. And and frankly, you know, in the last 10 years, we have gone backwards on our uh, uh, motivation, people being able to actually uh, bring about change. And, and there's all kinds of reasons for this, and not the least of which is all of our politicians have to have donations in order to get into uh, into uh, either Congress or the or in the Senate, and they uh, uh, so they're in some ways they are uh, they're held hostage. Uh, I I really salute the ones who stand up and speak the truth about the changes that we that we're facing, and uh, because. You know, frankly, the the movie Canary. I I give my daughter uh, the credit for this because she uh, she told me over ten years ago. She said, "Dad, one more ice core, and you're not going to change the trajectory that we're on. You gotta re you gotta reach thousands. You gotta reach millions of people 
to make a change. And so I, I, the whole hope of Canary is that, number one, it will inspire the next generation of young scientists. Uh, and it tells the climate story. But climate story, it tells it from a personal point of view because often scientists come across in Hollywood and movies and see either they're, they're very good or they're very bad. And no, we're, we're human beings. We face the same challenges of every human being on this planet. And at the same time, individuals can make a difference. And together, I believe that we can change the world but it'll be step by step. And, and so when I, I talk to young people, there are two things that you know very important is that we all in a democracy, which we, we have in this country, is we have the right to vote. We have a right to choose our one vote for people who we believe are uh, morally, uh, right, and will make the right decisions for us. And then the other thing that we all do is we buy things, how we spend our dollars, how we choose to spend the money that we have. Uh, we And to, together, we can make a big difference because the economy, and unfortunately, money drives a lot of things that happen on this planet. Correct. And uh, But we can all be part of that. That's just... Yes. Just an amazing so, story. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, oh no, no. I, I'm uh, uh, the other thing that I've found over 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 the years is that you cannot really change someone else's mind. What you can do is hopefully reach them. And, and Canary goes. You, you know, I, I I work with Al Gore on an inv- inconvenient truth, and it went more for the mind, the, the data, the, the like. And at the time, there was not even a committee in Congress talking about climate change. So it had its place. But this movie goes more for the heart and the fact that, yes, we are all individuals. We all have uh, our challenges. And, and I'm hoping that the movie will be inspiration. You don't have to be a glaciologist or climb mountains. I uh, You know, mountains... We all have mountains that we face oh, sure. in life, yeah. and That's... and I'm hoping, yeah, and and I'm just hoping that this this inspires uh, people that okay, when you when something comes along, it's not the thing that hits you; it's how you deal with it. I want to, I want to, how I, do you overcome it? I want to ask you a question. It was prompted by something you said, actually. There have been, and I've worked with uh, Vice President Gore over the years as well, and he's a great advocate for what we're trying to do and gets it. He really does, and I appreciate his climate reality efforts and so forth. But I have heard critics say, and I want to pose this question to you and just get your thoughts. Some would say it would have been less politicized from the start if a movie with Lonnie Thompson came out first instead of a movie with a politician. What are your thoughts there? I, I think this is a, uh, a very interesting question. Uh, and and, and I, I must tell you that when I was starting to work with Al Gore on An Inconvenient Truth, I got an email from uh, uh, Wassenberg from Caltech one evening. And he told me, he said, how can you work with a politician 
on climate change. As someone who hasn't spent a day studying climate, and he said there are people, scientists, who have spent 30 years studying climate. And he said, how can you, how can you do this? And my response to him was, yes, you're correct, but we as scientists, I think, have an obligation to make sure that what is said about climate is as accurate as possible. And I said, the problem is that if you're a scientist, people aren't going to come and watch your movie. Right. And Al Gore has the name recognition to get the message out. And so... I, uh, that was my opinion at the time, but I also realize what you say is true because I give public lectures and, and, and I've asked them, if, uh, especially in our conservative areas here in Ohio, have you seen an inconvenient truth? And they said, oh no, I wouldn't watch that because Al Gore said it. And I said, well, you know, what if we had uh, a Republican in it. Oh yeah, I'd watch it. <laughs> and, and to me, this is the, the, the yeah, yeah, you, you know, the, the problem is that this is not a political issue. It is not. This is a human issue. It's a human issue. And, uh, yeah. It's a human issue and politicians and, and, and these things should not be part of this discussion. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I think they're, but on the big picture, I mean, I go around the world I, in my research, and it's truly amazing how many people have seen an inconvenient truth and have been impacted. Uh, and, you know, I think in some ways it was negative in our country because it did divide. Um, uh, and we got to stop the dividing. We got to bring people back together. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a real issue, it, and, and we can only deal with it if we can work together. Well, the DNA of climate change is manifesting itself in our weather, sea level rise, agriculture, military decisions, and so forth. And I agree with you completely. And I, I want to say, by the way, first of all, shout out to Vice President Gore uh, and, and any others, Republican yes. or Democrat, Bob Inglis out there on the Republican side, uh, Hank Paulison. I mean, there are, exactly. there are people on all sides of the aisle that understand that this has nothing to do with red or blue or donkeys or elephants. And so I really salute those people. Uh, Dr. Thompson, it's been a pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. Um, again, any any just final words you'd like to say before about the movie uh, Canary, which you said uh, is in limited release on September 15th and then broader release shortly thereafter? I, I, uh, uh, I, I would just say that I, I think that I could not have found a better produ producer for the film. Uh, they, you know, the, uh, Alex Revest is a neuroscience, uh, scientist from MIT, PhD and, uh, uh, Danny O'Malley, who's the film, uh, director, uh, they, they truly, this, this became a, a labor of love, uh, to get this story out. And I just hope that it has number one, inspires young people. And number two, tells the climate story, uh, realizing that ultimately each of us has to look at the facts. And on the bright side, I would say that when I started my career, we talked about climate change in the future. 
and now it's here now. It's, it's on the nightly news, and human beings, we react to the here and now. We're not very good with planning 10 years, 20, 50. So I still am optimistic that we are going to find uh, a solution to this and that we're going to bring the world together uh, to solve what is a humanity problem. Yeah, I think that has to be the last word. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Marshall. Uh, hope to see you again here at Ohio State. I, I hope to as well. Our, I'm Dr. Uh, Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and you've been listening and watching Weather Geek. See you next time. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.